Hello and welcome to another episode of In the Money. I'm Constantine Brandopolo with Fidelity's Trading Strategy Desk. And with me today, the famous duo, Jessica Inskip, the Director of Education and Product at Options Play. And of course, Tony Zhang, Chief Strategist at Options Play as well. Welcome back, guys. It's great to see you both. Great to be here, KV. Good to see you again. Really looking forward to today's conversation. Thank you so much, KV. It's great to be here. Awesome. Uh, well, here we are um, experiencing some two-sided action in markets. Um, I would say that um, being an option strategist here at Fidelity, looking at realized volatility really picking up across markets in equities and bonds and currencies has certainly been something of note. Um, there has been a slew of Fed speak so far this week. There's been plenty of economic reports to digest. I'm curious, Tony, what do you make of all this? Where do you stand on your macro views? Yeah, as you said, KV, two-sided action, but the two-sided actions couldn't look any different from each other. On one side, you have the markets continuing to grind higher. We're now back above 5,000 on the S&P 500. On the other side, you have very quick, fast, violent sell-offs like we saw on Tuesday on the back of that hotter-than-expected CPI print. So... What's interesting is that despite how violently the markets reacted to on Tuesday to that CPI print, and we've seen bond uh, markets reprice when they expect rate cuts uh, you know, pushed out to June and July now, the market has largely shrugged that off by the time it's you know on Thursday. It's largely shrugged that off. We've reclaimed 5,000 on the S&P 500. The focus seems to be back on the fact that the economic picture so far remains fairly strong. The consumer seemingly remaining resilient, especially in certain pockets like travel and corporate earnings so far. you know Now that we're more than two-thirds through the earnings season, the S&P 500 corporate earnings seemingly back into growth mode. Looks like we're going to see about roughly three and a half percent revenue growth, a three and a half percent revenue growth for the S&P 500, just under three percent EPS growth. So, you know, overall, the market seems to be hanging on to the positives that we continue to see and kind of sweeping the fact that inflation continues to creep higher and that the Fed is going to likely keep rates higher for longer under the rug. But if we look at kind of the breadth of this market rally, that's really the part that really bugs me about the markets at the moment. You know, you have market breadth that continues to deteriorate and who say sell-off certainly didn't help that. The percentage of stocks that are trading above the 250-day moving averages remain fairly muted. And that really is what makes this rally currently fairly fragile. And whenever you see kind of shocks like we saw with the CPI print this week, you tend to get these really violent sell-offs. Um, you know, note that the Russell 2000 was down over 4% when the S&P 500 was down about 2% on Tuesday. You know, this is this is sort of the concerns that I see in terms of the, the, the two-sided action is that it's incredible, incredibly difficult to trade. You know, on one side, you have to stay with where momentum is, which is to the upside. And then it's really hard to avoid these violent sell-offs that kind of seemingly come out of nowhere. So that's really kind of the, 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 the state of the market here right now. But if you take a step back and you look at the S&P 500, I think the big picture here is the fact that we continue to grind higher, higher highs in price. That's not confirmed by momentum. That negative divergence is a concern for me. And suggests that we are still at risk of a pullback, at least into that 4,700 area on the S&P 500. 
Yeah, very, very well laid out. Jessica, I'm curious, you know, what do you make uh, of this very volatile action of the back and forth that we're seeing? What what are your short term views and, you know, are they changing based on what we're experiencing right now? Yeah, absolutely. It's definitely exuberance or excitement in the market, KV. And Tony called it out so beautifully. The economic events have really driven those quick and fast sell-offs. I mean, the Dow dropped more than 500 points on Tuesday in response to that hotter CPI print. But more specifically, diving into the details, it was the core inflation reading, in my opinion, that could give evidence to reacceleration from December. And that excludes the volatile energy and food prices. And that could be more stubborn inflation. And that's the concern. And it leaves that problem on the table where the Fed would be in that restrictive territory that we're in for perhaps longer. And since yields did rise, I do think it's important to pay attention to the auction process now that we're in this different type of environment. Demand is still present during those auctions. And that is a sign of optimism. What regard to the whole inflation picture, we've got a PPI print tomorrow, which will provide more evidence if there is any acceleration. Remember, PPI is from the producer perspective, whereas CPI is from consumer. So it's going to be interesting to see where that, where that lays out. But speaking of breadth on the market, we were absolutely able to clock all-time highs, hit that S&P 500 5,000 mark, and are above that today. Last week, when we were talking about broadening and, and breadth, we discussed my perspective utilizing the S&P 500 equal weight index. And I'm looking for, and remember, this is a weekly chart, and I'm looking for a close above 64.37 in order to achieve those all-time highs. And we did that last week when we reached that 5,000. So it's going to be interesting to see where this week's close lands, especially as we're waiting on the results of PPI that's certainly going to have the ability to move markets as we saw on Tuesday with the CPI print. But in conclusion, I am watching for a close above that 64.37. That is my resistance line. That's going to help shift more bullish and give me a more indication of broadening, something that Tony and I are, are both looking for within this market. And I'm also, on the other end, looking for a close below my support line of 63.21. And that would shift a, a lot more bearish because that's less evidence of broadening. So really, the whole theme I'm discussing today with you is looking for that broader participation to put us back in that that momentum and rally mode. Understood, Jessica. So the bulls want to see a breakup above uh, the previous resistance or previous highs, a breakup above and go. If uh, the pattern fails to the downside, however, uh, your ears need to perk up. I understand uh, risk management is key. Uh, thank you so much both to both of you for your macro and technical views. I'm curious, Tony, what uh, what the trade idea of the week is in the option space. Yeah, thank you so much, KV. I want to take a look at Citigroup here, the major bank, because they have been working on a turnaround for arguably close to 20 years now, and ever since the uh, global financial crisis. Um, but seemingly, Jane Frazier, the current CEO, seems to have hit a, a moment at which investors are now starting to take a look at Citigroup again and, and looking at accumulating the stock as she continues to work on shedding unprofitable businesses and focusing on revenue growth for the businesses that they are investing in. The early signs of relative strength in this particular stock to its sector, I think, is the first sign that perhaps it's time to start looking at uh, adding uh, a name like Citigroup to your portfolio. 
So if we take a look at a chart here for Citigroup, you see that over the past roughly 12, 13 years, the stock has been range bound between this $35 at the bottom end of the range to about $80 to the upper bound of the range. Now, but this is after the stock fell 98% after its peak from the global financial crisis. But if you look at the relative strength chart in the recent years, what you start to see is that not only has the stock stopped underperforming, it is actually starting to show some early signs of outperforming its sector, uh, the, the financial sector. And I think this is really some of the signs that uh, investors should be looking for as to whether or not Citigroup could potentially be an opportunity for their portfolio. And if we zoom into the chart here recently of Citigroup, you see that it revisited that $35 bottom just in October of last year. And recently it broke above this $52 resistance level. And this is a pretty important level that after Tuesday's sell-off, we kind of bounced off that now as support. And I think is the opportunity to add the position to, to, to the portfolio to look for that upside to around that $68 upside, which is the recent highs, and then even potentially up to the $80 highs, which is the, the multi-decade high that we've seen here in Citigroup. So this is really kind of the, the technical picture that I currently see with, with uh, Citigroup. However, when we look at the business, when we look at the fundamentals, that's actually when things actually look more attractive to me because Citigroup currently trades at about 0.6 times book value. Now that's, you know, compare that to Bank of America, which is trading about one times book value, nearly twice the valuation. Or if you look at some of the other banks like JP Morgan or Morgan Stanley, they're trading 1.5 times book value that are three times the valuation. You know, this is really where the valuation story here is quite compelling here for Citigroup, especially as you think about, you know, potential turnaround, you know, the, the, the bank has been struggling for years to find their footing. You know, they've got a CEO that seemingly that, that, that investors believe in now. Uh, you have that, uh, you know, early signs of relative strength to its sector. And you have a valuation story that I think is quite um, compelling that the down where the downside is fairly limited, unless let's say the economic picture cons, uh, you know, weakens substantially. This is really where I think the technicals and the fundamentals line up quite well for an opportunity to add some exposure here in a bank that we haven't really seen much of for the past 20 years. So as I'm looking to structure this particular trade, you know, this is really where, as I look at the options landscape here for Citigroup, options are not very expensive, which is why I think that because we're in the fairly early stages of a potential a trade here, especially where the risk reward here looks quite attractive, um, that's really where I think my preference is to uh, just simply use a, a very simple call, uh, trade structure, just a simple call option. And I'm going out to the April expiration and I'm looking at buying the 52 and a half strike call option. Earlier today, you can purchase that for about $4.20 per share or $420 per contract. And what this allows me to do is take unlimited upside potential here for Citigroup while risking, in this particular case, only $420 per contract. That equates to about 7% of the stock's value that I would be risking to potentially uh, play for this to rally up to that $68 target that I have to the upside for Citigroup. Yeah, Tony, a couple of follow-up questions here. You know, you're giving yourself some time. The structure of the trade is very straightforward. You're limiting your risk of the initial debit paid. Uh, but uh, I'm curious, you know, obviously when we're trading single-legged options, we want to make sure that if we're wrong, they don't go to zero. Uh, yes, that is capped risk in the strategy, but uh, how would you manage this trade 
if let's say right economic picture was to uh head south all of a sudden and the stock was to break down below your support zone yeah that's a really great question and i think as traders probably the most important thing is to have a plan for what do you do if the trade doesn't go in the direction you expect it to. I tend to find that there are a lot of options that you have when the trade goes in the direction you expect it to, but when the trade doesn't go in the trade you doesn't go in the direction you expect it to, the rules are pretty uh, black and white. So I'm paying here about four dollars and twenty cents debit for this uh, for this call option. The rule of thumb that I typically have for myself is that if I lose fifty percent of the premium that I pay, so I'm paying four dollars and twenty cents. If let's say sometime in the future it's only worth roughly two dollars and ten cents, fifty percent of what I've paid. At that point, usually what has happened is that the thesis that I have for this particular stock is clearly not playing out at certainly not in the time frame that I'm expecting it to. And at that point, instead of holding on to that call option, uh, hoping that at some point it'll come back in the direction that I expect it to, it's better off for me to close out that trade, save the $2.10 that I can if I could from that trade and potentially either reinvest it into a later time frame if I still believe in the thesis, but I just need more time or simply just look at a completely different trade altogether. If let's say just the overall um, thesis that now is the time to add Citigroup to my portfolio is just not playing out. Understood, Tony. And you did mention something else um, as we're, you were going over your outlook, you mentioned the fact that options currently don't seem to be very expensive. And I'm curious, this is a good learning moment, I think, for our audience. How do you gauge the cheapness or expensiveness of options? Yeah, that's really that's a really good uh, question. And what we typically use is the implied volatility of an option to help us measure, uh, you know, how cheap or expensive an option is. And then there's also a uh, metric or, or uh, called the implied volatility percentile that helps us rank how cheap or expensive the, the current options are relative to its own history. So if you look at uh, Citigroup right now, the implied volatility on these options are about 24%. Now, the problem with that number alone is that it's really hard for you to gauge 24% uh, as to whether that's cheap or expensive because you can't really compare it to other stocks. What you have to do is compare it to its own history. And that's what IV percentile gives us a sense for. And the current IV percentile on Citigroup is about 13%. What that means is that over the past year, only 13% of readings of the implied volatility on Citigroup was lower than where it is today. Uh, so that means that roughly about 87% of the time over the past year, options have been more expensive than they were today. So that's kind of how I gauge whether options are relatively cheap or expensive and whether my preference would be to be buying options like I'm doing right now or to be selling options if, let's say, options implied volatility were significantly higher than they are today. Yeah, very important lesson to remember, Tony. Absolutely. Thank you for breaking that down for us. Uh, Jessica, let's bring you into the conversation. I'm very curious to hear what your trade idea of the week is, and uh, let's explore it together. Absolutely, KV. Today, I am looking at Celsius Holdings. So 
Celsius, they finalized their distribution deal with Pepsi. And I see this as a risk because of their losing momentum of the market share that they've really gathered. However, there is still opportunity for them to expand internationally. And they actually recently announced a multi-year partnership with the Ferrari racing team. And so historically, if you look at the sales and the numbers for their strong, the strong sales that Celsius has had, it is definitely from consumer awareness. So any type of opportunity that they do or this type of partnership has the potential to reignite that momentum. And I'm definitely curious to see how that's playing out, but meaning this is an announcement that has mitigated the risk of momentum that I saw within Celsius. Now, technically, Celsius closed above its support found at the 26 weekly moving average around 56.07. Now, this is important when I'm looking at charts, again, for the viewers out there, those listening or, or, or so on and so forth. I look at a longer term chart, usually using the 13.26 and 40 weekly moving averages as means of support and resistance. Right now, we're currently testing that resistance found at 62.99, we can call it 63. And what's important to think about when looking at a bullish stance or, or any trade in general is the broader macro views. And I am absolutely acknowledging that there is a risk of a broader sell-off that could come from a hotter anticipated PPI like we talked about earlier. And that may absolutely impact this thesis altogether. But there is a very good lesson here that I'd like to share from a, a charting perspective. When we are looking at moving averages, I want to look at the slope of the line in addition to where the security is relative to the average. So is it above it? That's bullish. Is it below it? That's bearish. If it's above it, then the averages act as support. But in addition, I want to see the slope. And that 13-weekly moving average actually was beginning to flatten last week, but there was actually a close above that or that, that higher momentum that we saw, and that caused the average to start trending upwards again. So if I saw it flatten or move, that's an indication that the bullish trading cycle was at risk. Now that it's beginning to slope upwards, that's certainly a good sign. And in addition to that, I'm also looking at MACD crossed above the signal line. That indicates additional momentum. So looking good from my perspective, from a technical view. The way that I'm going to take this trade or, or take my bullish stance is via a bull call spread. I'm purchasing the April 19th 60 calls and I'm selling the, uh, oh, I apologize. I put put that all, all, all over there wrong. Um, when Celsius earlier today was 63.48. So I'm buying the April 19th 60 calls and I'm selling the April 19th 80 calls and that's costing me about 670. Now this is a bull call spread. So my max risk is going to be the debit that I spend, which is that 670 a share or 670 altogether. My max gain potential is 1330. So looking at that risk to reward ratio, and it is extremely important to note that we do have earnings coming up for Celsius on February 28th, which makes this a absolutely an earnings play. Very interesting, Jessica. So a couple of weeks uh, before earnings, that's an important date to remember. Put a pin into that one on your calendar. Um, you know, I've been looking at the chart um, at a longer term chart, just like you have here. And what I've noticed is that over the past uh, couple of years, really, on earnings, this stock tends to be a big mover. If it's not exactly on the earnings date, it seems to be immediately after, right? And in the days following. And so we of course know as traders and investors that past performance is no guarantee of future results. We don't know what's going to happen on earnings this time around, but this definitely is a type of stock that you would want to look at uh, or a trade structure that you would like to look at right after earnings 
Uh, and we do have a show on February 29th. So I uh, wanted to ask you, Jessica, if you don't mind, maybe taking a look at uh, Celsius on the 29th in a couple of weeks here to see what happens and uh, whether or not it requires management. Yeah, I think that's absolutely something to bring up on that show. And it's great to review those earnings plays and with those lookbacks. But um, yeah, I, I think that's absolutely important. This is absolutely an earnings play. The Speaking of, of what Tony was discussing with IV, IV is elevated when we are going into earnings. And there is a trade-off that I chose when setting up the structure of this trade that I think is extremely important to discuss, in my opinion. And that's the, the trade-off is capping my upwards gain potential by utilizing the bull call spread. When I have the, the long leg or we're buying a call individually, it's coming with an elevated cost because of the implied volatility that is increasing as we get closer to earnings and, of course, the broader market. A way to mitigate that cost of the long leg is adding the short leg. That's going to reduce the overall cost, as it did in my entire bull call spread. But the, the take is I'm capping my upwards potential. But you are absolutely right. This is an earnings play. It's going to require some management. Not only is it an earnings play, it's an earnings mover, as we saw from the chart. So we'll definitely take a look at it very closely right after and we'll close the trade at either way to be honest so it will but we'll assess if we're going to be cutting losses or if we're going to realize gains so a look back i am absolutely looking forward to discussing excellent jessica what uh, does our audience have uh to expect or what should they be looking forward to uh what are we going to be discussing next week Absolutely. Well, next week we have to understand PPI, what the market's response is to PPI. That's going to be extremely important just to understand the overall inflationary picture. And there is a really big earnings coming up next week for NVIDIA that is supportive. It looks at demand for that overall artificial buzzword intelligent thesis that will definitely assess to test those key market levels and, of course, actionable trade ideas. Sounds good. Well, that's certainly something that we're going to be all looking forward to, me included. Uh, that brings us to a close. Thank you so much, everybody, for showing up. I want to thank uh, Jessica and Tony, of course, for bringing us fresh and interesting trade ideas and uh, uh, breaking down your macro thesis for us. Yeah, thank you, KV. Always a pleasure to be here. It's great to be here. Thank you so much for having us, KV. Awesome. Well, folks, uh, don't forget about the Trading Strategy Desk-led um, uh, follow-up to this session where we discuss how we can use Fidelity tools uh, to evaluate, simulate, evaluate, and potentially place the trade ideas discussed. You can find us by going to fidelity.com forward slash in the money follow-up. Uh, that happens, of course, every Friday at 1.30 Eastern Standard Time. And uh, don't forget to subscribe to Fidelity's Active Investor Newsletter. You can find that by going to fidelity.com forward slash Active Investor Weekly. Take care, everybody. We'll see you next week. Before investing in any exchange-traded fund, you should consider its investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Contact Fidelity for a prospectus, an offering circular, or if available, a summary prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Options trading entails significant risk and is not appropriate for all investors. Certain complex option strategies carry additional risk. Before trading options, contact Fidelity Investments by calling 800-544-5115 to receive a copy of Characteristics and Risks of Standardized Options. Supporting documentation for any claims, if applicable, will be furnished upon request. There 
There are additional costs associated with option strategies that call for multiple purchases and sales of options such as spreads, straddles, and collars as compared with a single option trade. Technical analysis focuses on market action, specifically volume and price. Technical analysis is only one approach to analyzing stocks. When considering which stocks to buy or sell, you should use the approach that you are most comfortable with. As with all your investments, you must make your own determination as to whether an investment in any particular security or securities is right for you based on your investment objectives, risk tolerance, and financial situation. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Greeks are mathematical calculations used to determine the effect of various factors on options. Views expressed are as of the date indicated, based on the information available at that time, and may change based on market or other conditions. Unless otherwise noted, the opinions provided are those of options play, and are not necessarily those of Fidelity Investments or its affiliates. Fidelity does not assume any duty to update any of the information. News, commentary, market data, and research reports are from third-party sources unaffiliated with Fidelity, unless otherwise noted, and are provided for informational purposes only. Fidelity does not endorse or adopt third-party content. Fidelity makes no guarantee that the information supplied is accurate, complete, or timely, and does not provide any warranties regarding results obtained from their use. Any screenshots, charts, or company trading symbols mentioned are provided for illustrative purposes only and should not be considered as an offer to sell, a solicitation of an offer to buy, or a recommendation for the security. Options, play, and fidelity investments are independent entities and are not legally affiliated. The third-party trademarks appearing herein are the property of their respective owners. Fidelity Brokerage Services, LLC. Member NYSE, SIPC.